complex challenges of facing communities require cities to deepen community. The process of deepening community is about empowering citizens to form the trust and connection necessary to create and sustain vibrant, inclusive neighborhoods. Cities across Canada are recognizing the need to invest in social well-being of citizens who live, work, and play in their community in order to strengthen a sense of belonging, connection, and citizenship. My name is Heather Keane, and I'm excited to be on this podcast with my colleague, Christine Hadical. And we make up the city's deepening community team. Welcome, Christine. Thanks, Heather. So glad to be here. Today's podcast is about putting citizen at the center of your recovery plan. We find ourselves at a unique time, searching for answers to problems whose scope is beyond anything we've ever encountered before. As we move through the pandemic and flatten the curve, what's on the other side? As cities and communities start to recover, how do we learn from what has happened and move forward in a better way? It is in communities that we find the solution to emerge stronger and more resilient than ever. Putting citizens at the center is so timely as across Canada, the COVID numbers are starting to spike. I think it's safe to say that we are coming into a second round. Back in April, I was having a coffee chat with Jonathan Massamy, who is a city's deepening community member. And we started talking about COVID and how cities have reacted to COVID. We thought that the traditional disaster recovery model would not work for a pandemic. In July, we hosted a webinar with Jonathan and Deborah from the city of Edmonton to talk about asset-based recovery and how do we put community at the center of our recovery. This podcast is going to talk about some highlights from that webinar and reflections on what has changed since July. So what we've realized is the research about disaster and emergencies and the role of social capital. So Christine, what do you think about the research? It's really interesting, Heather. There's there's a lot of research out there that has looked at the role of social capital in all different phases of disasters. So from preparedness to, to mitigation and response, and then at looking at recovery. And what all the research has found is that social cohesion and social networks are really critical to emergencies. They're critical to that preparedness phase, like knowing your neighbors ahead of time. It's critical um, in the aftermath during recovery and rebuilding efforts um, when there's not a lot of infrastructure left oftentimes in emergencies. So research has really shown that social capital helps communities to, to cope with these different stresses and to really sort of dampen the the outcomes of these disasters. Ron Dwyer Voss has this quote where he said that there's a whole pile of social science research that shows that social capital is actually a bigger driver of recovery than income, which is pretty amazing. And a lot of people, I think, get confused about these different forms of capital. You know, we often think of economic capital, and that's really the only capital we focus on. But it's really important to think about all four capitalism, realizing that real capitalism is about balancing all forms of capital. So there's, you know, the human capital of assets and abilities and capacities that each person has. There's the natural capital of our communities. So, you know, the forest ecosystems and all the rivers and resources that we have in our natural habitat. And then there's the social capital of how how we interact with each other and the networks we form and the social systems we form, both informal and formal. So those are the other forms of capital that we that we often forget about, but that are so critical to, to connecting communities together. 
And in emergency preparedness, it's very top down and working with the the cities at the city level and at the institution level. And the real big driver of it is economics. And how can we get our cities, our towns? And I'm seeing that right now in, in Ontario, as we went to, we moved to phase three, where things were opening up and we moved to phase three because of economics. And we wanted to get the businesses going and the money flowing. But now our numbers are going up even higher where we're moving back to stage two where some things are closing down but you know personally I think we actually have to shut down again in order to address these these climbing numbers but economy is really driving it and I think it it smothers all the other capitals that we have to address and so when Jonathan and I were talking about this recovery model and putting community at the center we really are talking about including the other capitals the human the social and the natural capital along with the economic capital and making it an even playing field that they're all important as we move forward in recovery. Exactly. And if you look at what which communities did better in this first wave of the pandemic, it was actually the communities that were already connected to each other. So, I mean, we have evidence from the ground in communities that has shown that those neighborhoods that were already connected and had these systems have actually fared a lot better than those that didn't, you know, where there was just tremendous isolation and people not getting not getting the services and supports that they needed. I'm seeing in most cases, I'm seeing recovery plans being sort of just sort of implicitly implying that it's just economic and I'm not seeing a lot of social recovery plans. There's a few in Alberta that I've heard of, Social Recovery Task Force, and it's really great to see those municipalities stepping up and putting together a social recovery task force, but mostly it's economic. I'm happy you brought up Ron and his work, and I've quoted this probably for several years now, but in in a paper he wrote is an emergency, it's not going to be a first responder it's going to be your neighbor. And so that just really shows the importance of neighbor connecting neighbor. And there was also another study done in Chicago during the big heat wave that happened. And I was reading a book called Palaces for People. And in it, the author states that, you know, the, the community that had the most connection, that, that participated in block clubs and church groups and participated in their community, they knew their neighbors. Because they knew their neighbors, they were able to be more resilient and be able to survive the heat wave. And we talk about social capital in that it wasn't those who had money survived. It was those who had that social capital, that connection to neighbor to neighbor and connection to each other that helped them survive. And so looking at our traditional recovery models in that it it focuses on top down and a lot of times it's on institutional recovery, it doesn't focus on that community recovery piece. And so what other models have you seen out there? Well, some of the frameworks sort of focus on, you know, the trajectory of, of experience and emotions that come to play. So, you know, sort of this hyper overdrive and response. Um, and then there's sort of the honeymoon phase and sort of, you, you know, looking at the arc of time and how we move through these different phases within a disaster. Um, and that's helpful. It's helpful to sort of understand the sort of on the psyche level, how communities move from one phase to the next. 
but it doesn't really give us, it's quite prescriptive and predictive and sort of saying, you know, this is how you move through disaster. It doesn't really open us up to a lot of curiosity to, to asking questions around what's being revealed during this time. And that's what I love about this asset-based social recovery model that you and Jonathan put together, because it's, it's much more open. It's much more about looking at um, what's being revealed, what's being called forth. So I'm wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about that um, model that you, you put together and, you know, what's different about an asset-based approach to, to recovery? So one of our discussions about like the traditional model was that it seemed very linear and that we just had to go through the phases and then we'll get back to the way we were. And knowing that that's not how community works, community kind of works more of an, in a cycle. And, you know, at community emotions and people's beliefs and thoughts come into play. And so you might actually move to a stage, but then go back to the stage beforehand and then come back into the next stage. And so we we really wanted an approach that wasn't linear, but that also took into consideration the individual and how we are in, in our community. So it builds on what has already happened in the community. And one of the examples is a lot of caremongering groups came up. And so working and building upon what has already been created and how and what gifts and skills are there in the community to care for each other. It draws upon kind of what has been disrupted in the community and what has emerged. And there's an example that I have with a member we're working with. The disruption actually allowed them to see that they overprogrammed for their their members and what emerged is that they didn't allow for this deep relationship to happen and they they realized that they needed to do less programming but deepen their their relationship and recognizing that there was already these organic things happening in the community and instead of trying to stop those from happening and move them into their programs how can they foster what's already happening and share the the stories and the experiences that their their members are having an asset based recovery is from bottom up and so it is working with what is happening in the community and how are they thriving in a pandemic and where are the areas that organizations and institutions can support the community in doing this work? The approach allows individuals, associations, and organizations, businesses, and municipalities to think about what is the role of people and community in what they need to think about. And so it's kind of like that bottom-up, top-down approach because we all have, municipalities have a purpose and a role in community. Organizations and institutions have a role in community. Businesses have a role in the community. And so do citizens and residents have a role. And so how do we bring it all together into a plan? The best part is not providing answers, but asking questions and being curious. And so, you know, not coming to the community to say, we've got the solution to the, you know, fruits and vegetables issues you're having right now in, in during the pandemic, but looking at how are you guys sharing your fruits and vegetables you're already creating? How can we, you know, support what you're already doing? And so it's not coming in as the expert, but it's actually coming in as being, as you said, Christine, earlier, being curious and exploring. And then the other thing too is we're so quick to want to recover. We're so quick to just push the community and municipalities through this pandemic to get to the other side. And so, you know, it's pausing and giving time to reflect and ask questions and see, are there ways of doing things better? Giving yourself time to say, 
are we doing the right thing? Is this the way to do thing? You know, how maybe this is an opportunity to do some, you know, closet cleaning and programs we've just been doing because we've always been doing. This is an opportunity to say maybe, maybe this is the time to, to stop some programs. And so that was the, the kind of logic behind it all. And then the, the other big thing is just, it is, we've never been in this before. This has been, this is a worldwide pandemic. We've been in, you know, floods that have happened a certain area. We've been in, you know, in Brantford in my home city here, uh, ice jams, fires, earthquakes, you know, but it's always ever been a, a, a confined area. This is a worldwide pandemic. We've never been in this before. We don't have the answers. There is no cookie cutter. And one community is going to go through it in their way. Another community is going to go through it their way. There may be some similarities, but there's no cookie cutter. And so we need to give ourselves permission to not have the right answers, be emergent and be creative. And also maybe this is a time to unleash our creativity and our innovation. And so instead of doing things the old way, the traditional way within, within a box, whether the box is a wall or a box is parameters, maybe we can change it. Maybe we can change the shape. Maybe we can change the color. Maybe we can change up what we're doing. And so uh, when Jonathan and I were talking, these are the things that we were thinking about and hoping that by positioning a different way of a framework, we will allow for this emergent opportunity to bring community and the top-down emergency response together. I love that. I love that overview. Thank you so much for sharing sort of the thinking behind behind this. There's a couple of things that jumped out at me as you were talking. One was just the time not being linear and how, you know, in systems thinking that a similar approach of really deep time and deep time being a different way of looking at time and realizing that we're moving through these cycles and there's not just this one linear path of how um, we're going to go through an experience as a community. Another thing I loved is just that, that piece around emergence. And um, I, I heard someone speak, a systems thinker speak about that and, and how we often, when there is a system that dies or, you know, a phase where, where, where something ends, we are, we're so quick to recreate and to design and to fill that was something new that we forget that we need a void for emergence to happen. We need there to be a void for creativity. I mean, it's just like a garden. You know, there, when, it, when a plant dies, it needs that fallow time before a new plant emerges in the garden the next season. And similarly, how can we think about our lives in, in sort of this cycle of seasons and realizing that it's okay to be in a, in a void period. And actually, that's critical to allowing there to be that time for pause before we can birth something new, before we have that emergence. And we can't be in a space to be creative unless we take that step back and pause. I think that's really hard, very hard for um, us to do as a culture, you know, when we move so quickly. And it's always about forward movement and about planning and feeling like we have answers rather than um, being okay with just the questions. That kind of brings the framework. There's three phases. So crisis, discovery, and resurgence. We had many coffee chats about the wording and how, you know, what, what is the best way. Resurgence, I think, was the biggest one because we were like, oh, recovery, obviously, you know, you crisis, discovery, and recovery, and you move on forward. And we used resurgence because it's not just as moving forward, but it's just this reimagining and new. And so we have these three 
three phases, the crisis stage, the discovery stage, and the resurgence stage. And in the, in the crisis stage, that's the chaos, right? We just, I remember it was actually St. Patrick's Day and we closed the very, very next day. And it was like, what? How could this possibly happen? And so it was a sense of panic and, uh, and a panic of toilet paper. And, you know, we ran out of toilet paper. And then a sense of panic, we ran out of flour. And we had a sense of panic, we ran out of yeast, you know? And so people were just trying to, it was the sense of panic and they were grasping. And I didn't panic. Maybe I should have because I did run out of toilet paper. Fortunately, I do know my neighbors. And I did a call out and I was able to to get a couple rolls of toilet paper to tie us through. So maybe I should have panicked, but I didn't. Also in the crisis stage is that when things shut down and those who were financially better did better. And, and we don't mean financially as in money, tangible money. We, may, we mean like social capital. And so I did better because I knew my neighbors and I was able to get toilet paper. I was able to borrow some flour so that I could continue cooking at home. And we had that social network piece of it. And so, you know, within that crisis stage, you have this, you know, flurry of activities and all these random acts of kindness came out. We moved everything to technology. So I don't know about you, Christine, but I got zoomed out really fast because we moved everything to Zoom. And, you know, we're pretty fortunate that Tamrac were a remote organization, but then everything went to Zoom. All the meetings, my sisters, we all met via Zoom. Our high school friends met via Zoom. And it's funny because we we met more often, my sisters and my friend, during this crisis stage than we did in a whole year, maybe two years. We were connecting on a regular basis every week. We had these things because we just didn't know what was going to happen, right? And then we, you know, went through this whole, ah, this is only going to last for a couple weeks. You know, it's, we're going to get through this and, you know, the government knows what they're going to be doing. And so don't worry about it. So there was a lot of these emotions that went through and we all went through very differently. And then this whole connection piece, we all went to online um, and we all went to connecting more often than we ever did before. And I think it was just checking, it was more just checking in about how are you doing? Uh, you know, do you have toilet paper? Do I have toilet paper? I don't know, Christine, what did you see in your community about crisis stage? I saw a lot of that sort of trying to recreate our lives online, even in times when maybe we shouldn't have. The flurry of activity, definitely. And really sort of a lot of research, you know, just looking at the statistics, you know, tracking every day the new numbers, trying to find the latest research, a lot of doom scrolling, a lot of just constantly watching the news, having, having, you know, my husband had the stats up on his computer and it was like this dashboard of the number of deaths every day. And it was just, that can really get into your psyche and it can really sort of outsource your sense of power and sort of create this mindset of, we don't know the answers and, and we have to look outside ourselves for sense of security or sense of, you know, reassurance during this, this crisis time. But um, it is interesting to, to see, you know, the ways that we um, moved through that and then moved into discovery and what the discovery stage was and how that was a time of actually seeing these patterns in ourselves, right? And gaining new sort of confidence, navigating this very turbulent time and realizing that, hey, maybe, you know, connecting one-on-one and connecting with fewer people is actually more important than trying to, to connect with so many people on, you know, all of these Zoom events. So what did you see in the discovery phase? 
I discovered that I got Zoom fatigue really quickly. I discovered that I always thought I was an, an extrovert, but I actually had this introvert deep inside me and I really enjoyed the lockdown. I really enjoyed disconnecting from life and reconnecting with my family. And I discovered that I liked bike riding. I never went bike riding with my children. And we discovered we liked bike riding and we went for walks every day. And in discovery, I shut off the news looking at the numbers. So I kind of, you know, discovered that I don't need any of that. I discovered more about myself and I think more about my community and how my community reacted to it. And in the webinar, Deborah talked about the connection piece and how the, the block connectors that they had in their community really helped in the discovery phase and bringing people together and sharing resources and and learning and you know e even those who actually didn't have block connectors the natural block connectors came out and they started to put things up on their their front doors and windows and they started to build a, a sense of community during the discovery phase another thing that I remember in the webinar is Deborah talked about a quote from Cormac Russell that you have to go beyond who is needy to, to everyone is needed. And so in the discovery phase, this is where you realize that everybody has some way to contribute to recovery and to community. And this is where, you know, you, this is where you started to harness and you started to see who was helping and what are those the social capital that came out. And then we go into the resurgence stage. And, you know, I don't know about you, Christine, but I actually think that's the stage I'm in. Where do you think you are? I still cycle through them. I, I think I'm feeling a new layer of Zoom fatigue. So in some ways, maybe I'm back in discovery stage. But there's days when I feel hopeful and I see all the different community initiatives that are coming forward. And that brings me back into the resurgence stage. So I think I, I cycle through them on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And that's that whole cycle, right? Like it's not linear and we can't force people just to go through stage by stage. And so I personally think I'm in the resurgence stage. So I'm really inspired by action. And as we're going, and, and I know the numbers are starting to go up right now at this time, but I think there's, there's, there's a lot that's happening and a lot of realizations and, and inspiration that's happening. And I think, I actually think organizations are stuck. Some are still back in, in the crisis phase. They haven't opened up their doors yet. The buildings are not open. They're not, they're not doing programming yet. And then I see groups that have been really innovative and using this time to embrace the change and embrace what they're learning and go and coming up with some really cool ways. So in my newspaper, I see, you know, Halloween's coming up and I see, I see virtual carving contests and, you know, sending in your pictures of your costumes. So they're trying to figure out ways we can continue doing what we're doing in community, but doing it at COVID safe and moving forward. And so during resurgence, there's a couple questions like in what ways has your connections with others energized you? You know, what has changed that you don't want to lose or see? What are things that you need, you wish you had that the community can provide now? What challenges have been revealed that you want to address? And what are the strengths that have been revealed? And these are very powerful questions for communities to think about, organizations to think about, municipalities to think about, and use these questions as they're starting to, to go to the next phase. And so, you know, we've talked about this webinar, Christine. So I just wanted to, what are like two or three takeaways you had from the webinar that you wanted to let everybody know about? 
There were so many things I took away from the webinar, Heather. One of them that really hit home was shifting from a scarcity to abundance mindset. I say that because so much of what we hear in the news every day is the lack, right? We lack toilet paper. We lack the ability to meet in person. Everything is the scarcity of what we can't do, where we can't go, what we don't have. And when you focus on that sort of deficit lens, it really limits your own creativity and realization that there is an abundance of gifts right, and assets right in our community that we can mobilize right now in this crisis. And that there is so much we can do. So I think that communities could just make that simple shift and start asking, you know, what do we have right now that we still can work with? And that's a really powerful question. Another takeaway that I got was just about the need to work from the ground up and from the outside in. So, you know, rather than having this top-down recovery that's led by institutions, see what's already happening on the neighborhood level. And institutions can, can look at that as models for recovery. You know, what have neighbors started doing? In my community, we had a group of 2,000 people join a Facebook group that just wanted to help one another and deliver groceries to seniors. And that was a spontaneous grassroots organizing initiative that just emerged. So how can we sort of shine the spotlight on those grassroots efforts and place the power in those initiatives um, rather than creating something at the institution level that we have to deliver? And then really realizing that we have to work from the outside in, realizing that we do have a lot of community members that are living on the margins, you know, from those that are homeless to those that are living in isolation that really have been left out and forgotten in our society, but realizing that they are essential gift holders and seeing what gifts they do have that could be harnessed and connected in our efforts to recover. So just working from the outside in rather than the inside out. And I guess a third one would be um, focusing on connectorship rather than leadership, realizing what we need right now is connectors. We don't need leaders. Uh, what we need is to be catalysts and brokers to, to connect people's gifts and realizing that communities can lead the way and they can be the architects of their own future and that we just need to, you know, as organizations and institutions, help to, to connect those. So those would be the three. And if I had a fourth, I would say the power of stories because, you know, institutions really work in the sort of the realm of statistics and data and you know, how many programs and how many participants, but Communities work in the realm of stories. So if we can use storytelling as a way to reflect, pause, inspire, we can really gain a lot of clarity about what our community needs right now, where our community is headed, um, and what's important to us. That's great. You know what? I think I had pretty much similar to the to all of what you had. And and I also just wanted to highlight that we're cycling through the phases. And I know we've said that many times on this call, but that it is that we are all moving through, you know, crisis discovery and resurgence, but not all at the same time. And so some of the communities at different levels, and we have to respect that, and that it is not linear, and that we have to cycle through these phases, and we might do it many times and at different speeds. And so I just want to add that in there. And so now I want to just shift this to, okay, so we are talking about uh, a recovery model. How can, you know, institutions and citizens start this recovery model? What are your thoughts? That's the hardest part, right? Every, whether you're a municipality or, you know, an organization working in the community, the first question that everyone should be asking is, what can the community do for itself? always start with that question. That's critical. 
you know, what can we do to maybe relinquish some of our power? What could we do to hand over some of what we do back to the community? You know, we we need to really operate from that with and by mentality rather than for and to. So working with community um, and have, having things be led by community rather than doing things for or to community. And so, yeah, just starting with that question. What else would you say um, institutions can do right away to get started? I'm going to actually, I want to build off the, the first question you talked about is what can community do for itself? So looking at asset mapping. So looking at what emerged from all of this, what care mongering happened, what sharing happened, what bartering happened, what happened in the community, and then ask yourself, well, what um, happened in the community that they could use some support doing? You know, and how can we support the community to either take it to the next level or, you know, just support them in the work that they're doing, not take over the work that they're doing, but support them. And then what didn't happen in the community that should have happened in the community or that, you know, they didn't have the capacity to do in the community. And then that's where organizations and institutions can really benefit at the community and support the community. And so there's these three questions that John McKnight has is what can the community do for itself? What can the community do that, that they can do but could use support? And what can't community do that others need to do? And so by putting those three questions in with this recovery piece, you'll be able to see what roles you can play. Putting citizens at the lens first, I think, is key. And going out and talking and having conversations. I know right now we're virtual, but we can still have virtual coffee. And we can still, you know, phone calls, like if you're zoomed out, like I am, I'm like, can we just do the old fashioned phone call, you know, and call each other? I, it's still the same, but yet it's something, it, it really is different. And then looking at, so the asset mapping, there was one co- uh, community that did asset mapping prior to COVID. You know, when you did that, when you did your community conversations, you, you did your asset mapping and you looked at all of that, you're going to have to go back and say, okay, now that COVID's happened, does this, is this still resonating? Does this still true? And, you know, just, just doing a check-in to see if this is still the way to go, or maybe we have to modify, or maybe some of the things are off the table. Who knows? But just, you know, taking what you've already learned, but then doing a check-in and finding out how you can go forward in it. Uh, And then as citizens, keep up, keep up the, the social capital. Get to know your neighbors, you know, putting a, using chalk and writing on the, on somebody's driveway, hope you have a great day. Like there's lots of little things we can do as citizens and as residents, um, just within our own community to support each other through what, what is happening now is kind of the second round. And maybe there will be a third round and a fourth round. Who knows? Do you have any other ideas for citizens, Christine? I think just just see what's there already. Take the time to, you know, start with your own neighbors on your own block. So if you're doing this work as a professional, start in your own life with your own neighbors. And it always it always is better to start out, you know, closest to home so that you can really live live this practice and see how it plays out close to home. I think that would be my main my my main piece of advice for starting out. If people wanted to to sort of read about more about the framework or 
listen to the webinar, where can they get that? Yeah. So I would encourage you, if you haven't seen the webinar to, to watch it and listen to it. We do have the article uh, all, and both of them are on our website, tamarackcommunity.ca. And then there's something else that I wanted to just to highlight is that we did a kind of like, how might we session on how might we put citizens at the center of our recovery plan? And I wrote an article, nine ways to create an asset-based recovery plan. Um, And these are nine ideas from nine different groups on how you can put citizens at the center of your recovery. So you've got three things. You've got to a webinar to watch, an article to read, well, two articles to read. And then on our website, tamarackcommunity.ca, there's lots of other resources to support you in uh, asset-based community development and how you can put that into your recovery plan. So Christine, this has been awesome. This is our first podcast together. One of many, I'm pretty sure. And it's been a great dialogue. And I think there's lots to think about. And, you know, with, with COVID, that it's not going to go away. We just got to keep up doing the best we can and supporting our neighbors. And if you like this podcast and you want to hear others, uh, you can go to our website, tamarackcommunity.ca. Thank you so much. 